We look in the book of Jude real quickly, and we, re- we started this morning on this passage of Scripture talking about making a difference. Most everybody, I would hope, wants to make a difference in this world. You want to make a difference. You want your life not just to live, to, to eat, to work, to exist and die without really touching people. Um, if the Lord lets me live to Thursday, I will, uh, well, I don't think I'll be a part of the funeral on Thursday, but I'll be there for uh, Mrs. Scott's service. But uh, I have done now over 555 times have I been at the head of a casket or a grave marker or a, uh, even a cemetery or just helping 555 families through the transition and the grief. It's not, I'm not that good at that, the opportunities I've, I've received. But I've, I've oftentimes been to what would be somewhat an unknown person. They never mounted a pulpit, they never spoke in a microphone, and yet their lives, you couldn't shut people up if you give testimonies. They were just so quick to say what God used that person to do. I've also been to other folks where they have, they've managed to accumulate wealth and Seem like they're very popular, but they didn't have the respect or the touch on the lives of people. And that's not always determined by a testimony time. But I'm always going to wonder, I remember going to a funeral one time of a teacher at the University of California in Long Beach. He's taught chemistry for years. And I remember getting a call from the funeral home director. He said, look, we have a funeral on uh, Thursday morning at 10 o'clock and the man has asked uh, that we have a, a Protestant speaker there. You're Baptist. I know you're not Protestant, but would you come? To... I said, yeah, I have the time and I can do it. I remember going by the man's house and sitting and parking out in front of his house, praying that God would help me as I'll get to meet his family and maybe share the gospel. I remember going through Psalm 46, the message that I felt like God laid on my heart that day to, to speak. And going to the funeral home and... Um, I pulled up and, and uh, I looked over my notes and then I walked in and it was probably about 20, 25 minutes early and I talked to the funeral director. He said, it's going to be in parlor number two. And I went around to parlor number two at the Strickland Snively Mortuary there on Long Beach Boulevard. And I turned and I saw a beautiful sign-in booklet. I signed my name on the booklet. had a big stack of, of, uh, of uh, funeral obituary cards. I turned around I saw one of the most beautiful cherry wood caskets you could ever imagine with no less than 48 red roses and, and, and a, a spray of flowers over it. was beautiful. And so I, there was no one there yet, so I started looking at my Bible, and, and it was getting closer. It was about 10 minutes till the hour, and I didn't find anybody in the room. And I went out and saw, saw the mortuary director. I said, look, uh, am I in the right place? Is this for so-and-so? He said, yes. I said, I don't see anybody. Are you, do you see the family? He says, no, but we'll, we'll wait. We can even start a little bit later if you need to. And uh, so I said, well, did you put the name in the newspaper? He said, we always do. We always do. And did you notify the university at Long Beach State University? He said, yeah, we did. I thought, that's good. Okay. Well, anyway, I waited a little bit. And then it was about five minutes after the hour. And he walked up to me and said, well, Pastor, it looks like no one's here. So why don't we just get started? I said, get started? Get started with what? It's just me and a dead man. He said, well, I'll sit over here on the left side if that'll help you a little bit. And I said, I said, I said, I said you've got to be kidding me. You mean there's no, there's no family? The, no one from the university came? Nobody came? He said, occasionally it happens. 
And I'm telling you, I was so tore up. I was probably 38 years old at the time. I was so tore up. I didn't even know what to do. I couldn't hardly read Psalm 46, much less preach a message to just me and the man over there. I fumbled my way through reading the pastor's scripture. I went into prayer and I said, God, if anyone ever hears this man died, help them to think about their own mortality and they're coming towards you. And, and uh, Lord, I, I don't know, maybe he has a, a relative or a niece or a nephew or a neighbor or someone that could have come, but they didn't come. Lord, please help them. And I just kind of said, I, I don't know what else to say, sir. He goes, that's okay. He said, Pastor, you don't have to go to the cemetery. I said, thanks a lot. <laughs> I don't really want to go to the cemetery. And just stand there by myself. And you know what? That, that, that always messed with me. Going to a funeral where no one came. And the guy had unbelievable, he had some wealth. I mean, he had the beautiful casket. It was thousands of dollars just for the funeral. I'm the only person that signed the guest book. But I was kind of wondered, you know, you would think a guy like that, somebody, he could have touched someone. And I don't know his story. He may have been so old, everybody who died or off around him, I don't know. I don't know his story, but I just thought, man, maybe that guy just didn't touch anybody. He lived and got a good, I went, I drove in front of his house, I parked in front of his house. It was a beautiful house in Long Beach, California, no less than probably, uh, I imagine today it cost a million and a half dollars to live in that home. But no one came. You know, I, I want my life to matter. You want your life to matter. And more than just accumulating wealth or finding some popularity, we want our life to matter for the Lord. And I think that's a great song for tonight. And of course, Jude says, and some have compassion making a difference. Let me just say, to impact other people's lives, some people do it through love, compassion. And then other people are come to the Lord through fear. Uh, everyone in here that's saved, probably was, you're saved because of one of two factors. Someone loved you to Christ, or you got scared to death. And you were thinking, man, maybe it was a sermon, maybe it was a dream, maybe it was an event that you thought, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die and go to hell. And God used either, either fear or he used compassion to bring us to Christ, and sometimes both. But he said some, they make the difference through compassion, others save with fear. But Jude is certainly uh, someone who gets the whole picture. It's unique as Jude references things that are not even in the Old Testament. He talks about Enoch the second from Adam, and, and things about him. He talks a little bit about the body of Moses that, 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 was, uh, that was argued over with Satan and some other things that, that we don't see even in the Old Testament. Of course, he grew up with the Lord Jesus Christ. We believe he was the half-brother of Jesus. And when he writes this letter, he just says, as Brother Johnny read with us a few moments ago, I, I wanted to write about a common salvation, but I had to write this to exhort you and I to earnestly contend for the faith. Now, it's faith that makes us faithful for the long time. And, and friends, that's something you want to be faithful for the long haul. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse number 1, the Bible says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly. That means the Spirit of God makes no bones about it. He's very obvious when he says this. That some will depart from the faith. If you've been a Christian very long, you have seen some that used to be faithful that are departed from being faithful. They're not going to hell. They can't lose their salvation. They just were faithful, and now they're, they're going the rest of their life in this world not being faithful. They departed from faith. 
And, and faith determines faithfulness. If you don't believe what the Bible says, you're not going to live for God. When you get away from the scriptures, and, and he says, look, I've got a right to you to earnestly contend for the faith because you're going to have some enemies. And the devil's very tactical. He uses infiltration. And Jude speaks of four enemies. Number one, he speaks of the enemy of false teaching, of, of the cults. He said there are certain men, verse number four, that have crept in with false teaching. There's always people that are going to do that. In every community, every church, every season, every generation, there are people who come in. Uh, Paul said to the church at Galatia, he said, you did run well, who? did hinder you. Who's telling you stuff that's not true to the Bible? As I said this morning, the, the, the devil's smart enough. He's not going to attack you by bringing someone to this pulpit and say, let me teach you three ways how to worship Satan tonight. Well, immediately we'd all rebel against that and run that guy out on his ear. But what, what oftentimes happens is smooth talking, False believing in every bad teaching, there are victims and then there are villains. There are people that know this bad and they, they propagate it for whatever reasons, usually satanically induced. Or there's victims and people who believe the wrong things because they've heard the wrong things. He said, number one, you've got to stand against false teaching. Number two, you'll have to stand uh, against, in verse number five, I will therefore that you put, you put in remembrance who once though you knew this, how that the Lord being saved the people out of the land of Egypt afterwards destroyed them that believed not. The, the mixed multitude, this was the tares. The people who came out of Egypt with Israel, but later on they showed their real colors. They really were not worshipers of Christ. And by the way, in every church there are people and this church is no exception. If the rapture took place right now, some would still be sitting here wondering what just happened. There would be some sitting here, and I, I don't say that to scare you. I don't want to scare you. I'm not, it, that's, that's the farthest thing from my mind. But he says, look, you'll have to fight against false teachers. You also have to fight against people who are unsaved but are in the church. They're like the Judases going along with all the other disciples but uh, later they went out from him because they were not of him. First John talks about that. He said that, that's, that's another problem. And then he says you're going to have to fight against satanic demons, angels, fallen angels. He said you, you're going to have, if you're going to fight the faith, because everything is, the false teachers, they're trying to get you to depart from the faith. The tares, they're pawns on Satan's board to, to complicate and frustrate and to cause others to, to go away. And then satanic opposition. And demons are in this room right now. I'm not trying to be spooky with you. I'm just telling you. Some of the things that happen in Christianity and trying to reach people, you can't make the stuff up that happens. If you've ever been soul winning, you know you're trying to witness someone all of a sudden. Dogs bark, phones ring. People say, you got to come right now. I can't do this. I, I was talking to someone the other day, and they were witnessing to someone, and right in the middle, they were about ready to get saved, and someone just came and took them away. I need you right now. There's an emergency, and they left, and they don't know if they got saved or not saved. But that happens, and it happens in church. 
Oftentimes people start cutting up or goofing around or someone gets up and leaves and they come back and go to the same place. And I'm not saying they're satanically possessed. I'm just saying the devil knows how to distract people. And they get people to fall from the faith. And then we find the last one here is worldliness. He references Sodom and Gomorrah. And uh, this is something that's a burden on every true pastor is to keep the world out of the church. As Jesus prayed in John 17, he goes, I, Lord, I'm not asking you to keep my, keep my disciples or take them out of the world, but I, don't want you to, I want you to keep the world out of them. James says, and to keep yourself unspotted. Don't let the world spot you up. And this world is very strong, and it really affects our thinking. That's where it starts, between our ears. We start thinking like the world. Then we start accepting the world's entertainments and, and way of thinking. And, and it, he says, I want you to keep the world out of them. But these are things that keep us from the faith. And he goes on to describe them a little bit more. He uses the word ungodly several times. He calls them defamers, defilers. Uh, they, 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 they criticize, they accuse the brethren. And uh, he, he references three men in the Old Testament, Cain and Balaam, and then he references Korah. He said in, in many, uh, in those who try to get people away from the Lord, number one, Cain, he's a representation of a religion and a salvation that requires work that eventually leads to, to violence. Any kind of a works-based religion will eventually go, they'll, they'll get violent. Uh, you can see it if you start studying the world's religion. And oftentimes I've had people say, oh, religion, I don't like religion because it caused so many wars. Not Bible religion didn't do that. That's works-based religion brings violence. And, and Cain is an example of that. And then Balaam, someone who uses spiritual influence for personal gain. And you can say the, the story of, 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 of Balaam in Numbers chapter 22, how that he was a prophet of God. And because he had an eye for gold and an itch for more, he was willing to prostitute his spiritual, his spiritual uh, leadership for personal gain. And that's, that's a reality today. And some, some have done it very successfully in this world, but uh, to their own demise. And then lastly, the sons of Korah those who rebelled against Moses, those who continue were a, were a pain in the neck to spiritual leadership. And not only did they, did they um, cause problems for God's, God's man, they caused problems for God's work and God's people. And he goes on to tell them these people are empty. They're clouds without rain. They're twice dead. They're mumblers and, and murmurers, and they, they're always complaining about stuff, and, and they're heretical. They pull, they create a, 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 a cause and try to get people on their side of the cause and try to gather things against oftentimes truth and, and truth seekers. This is how they are. But then he goes on and he says in verse number 20, he said, but, but brethren, you're, you're going to be different than that. He says, I believe that you're God's people, and God's people, in order to make a difference, have to have four things happen. Number one, they must build themselves up in the most holy faith. As we talked this morning, that means a relationship with the Bible. What you and I do with the Bible will determine what God does with us. Right relationship with the Scriptures. Love your Bible. Read your Bible. Listen to your Bible. 
talk about your Bible, meditate in your Bible, memorize your Bible, but for, for whatever, obey your Bible. But it is, it is our relationship with the Bible will determine our faith. Faith grows from relationship with the Scriptures. He said, you're going to build yourself up in your most holy faith. And it's interesting, it doesn't say build each other up in this context. So that teaches me I can be as close to God as I want to be. And you can have as much faith as you want to have. You're going to have to get in the Word of God. You're going to have to let it, the Word of God get in you. You're going to have some interest there. You have to feed the need, if you will. But that's the first thing. He says, if I want to make a difference, I've got to have strong faith. Number two, he says, in verse number 20, let's look at it. But ye, beloved, he loved them and they're his brethren, building up yourselves in your most holy faith, and then next, praying in the Holy Ghost. They're really the only kind of praying there is, is in the Holy Ghost. And prayer is so important. I love prayer. I hope you love prayer. But I will not say with readiness, it is my easiest spiritual discipline. It is, such, it is a little bit of a challenge to be an effective prayer warrior. But he says, the second thing that's going to make a difference is when we learn to pray. Mamas, you can learn to pray. Young people, you can learn to pray. Teenagers, I hope you will have a life of prayer. Dads, I hope you'll have a prayer life. Oh, what grief we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in. Many of us have said it. All we can do now is pray. We should have been doing that first. That should be our first response, not our last resort. Learning to pray your way through problems is really important. In the context of problems, in James chapter 1, he said, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, different kinds of problems. By the way, everybody has problems that are just diverse. They're different kinds. Various different kinds of trouble. And he says, look, the trying of your faith, it worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work. You mean perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him. You know, what we need in problems, we need prayer. We need wisdom. To know how to see things God's way and then do things God's way. That's what wisdom is. That's why I think a, a Wednesday night Bible study, I'm looking forward to, to studying the scriptures again in Proverbs this week because we can see the way God thinks. When you read the book of Proverbs, you are trying to figure out God's thinking pattern. When you read the book of Psalms, you're kind of learning about how God feels about things. You can see his desires he's, because the man who wrote most of it was a man after God's own who understood God's thinking, his feelings, and his desires. When you read Proverbs, you're seeing, oh, this is how God thinks about that. When the Bible says a wise son makes a glad dad, every child, you need to make your dad glad. And to make you glad, your dad glad, you've got to be wise. When the Bible tells us make no uh, friendship with an angry man, he's telling you, look, this is something that's going to challenge you if you do this. If he says that in, in, uh, wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. God's telling us his opinion of alcohol is, is don't drink it. And it'll make, a, it'll make a fool out of you. That's what God's telling us. He says that he said if, if, if any man desires wisdom, he'll have to separate himself 
Through desire, a man seeketh in the middle with all wisdom. If you're going to be wise, you're going to have to say no to some other things to have the blessings of God's way of doing things. You can't love flowers unless you hate weeds. And God's explaining that to us. But prayer is vital to a wisdom. And then I would say this, that it is in prayer that we get a vision to see things the way God sees them. And then a passion. We're talking about a passion this year here at First Baptist Church, a, a passion for thee. And I'm telling you, it, a passion is formed out of prayer. And prayer is not just a one-way street. It's not just you talking to God. It's you talking to God and God talking to you. Many of us were living life blindly, visually impaired spiritually. We might as well get a, get a, a tapper out and start walking through life. Trying to, trying to parent children without prayer is foolish. Trying to work on a bus route or, or teach a Sunday school class or sing in the choir or play an instrument or be an usher without prayer. Pastor, preaching here without some prayer is, is foolish. It's like driving your car when, when it's all fogged up and all you have is just those little bubbles right there by your defroster. Don't ever try to do that. Don't drive like that, okay? You know what's going to happen you do that? What do you do that? What's going to happen? You're going to have a wreck. And that's exactly what's going to happen in our life. You don't have a clear windshield to see things God's way. He said, I want you to pray in the Holy Ghost. And you got the Holy Ghost, according to Ephesians 1.13, the moment you got saved. When you believed, you heard the gospel, you received it and you trusted, then you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Aren't you glad when he comes in, he never leaves? He can be grieved, but he never leaves. This week, I checked into a hotel, but I went in there with the understanding I was checking out. Aren't you glad God never checks out? He's our guarantee that we're going to heaven. See, when you got Jesus, when the Holy Spirit came inside of you, he's God in a spiritual form, and he lives inside of me. He says, I will never leave you. Aren't you glad he didn't say, I'll not leave you in this lifetime? He didn't say that. He says, I will be with you forever. So when the Holy Spirit comes in, how long is he going to be with me? He's God. Is he going to the lake of fire? No, so I am not either. That ought to bless your heart right there. But when he came in, he's there to be your prayer partner too. Romans chapter 8 reminds us that he can speak to the Father because he knows the Father's mind. He knows the mind of God. He can prompt us to do things at the right time. Recently, I, I, I had a burden for someone. I called them. I could not believe. I called them within 30 minutes of their loved one passing away. Had no idea it was going to happen. And it was such a timely call. And I, all I could do when I got off the phone was say, Lord, thank you. I didn't know that. Remember years ago, I was driving, and there was a man, my friend, he's not saved. I don't think he's saved to this day. I hope he will get saved. I pray for him often. But his wife, his two daughters, and his son were saved. And I prayed for him. I talked to him. I've cornered him. I've given him the gospel. He's just not ready. But I remember one day driving on 26th Street in, Ham in Long Beach. I was driving. And, and the Lord impressed my heart to pray for my friend. And I did. I, I prayed for him. I said, God, please bring him to the gospel. Help him to be saved. And it was like the Holy Spirit said, that's good, John, but you need to call him too. So I was driving. I called him. I was in between other visits. I called him. I said, hey, bud, how you doing? He said, how'd you know? I said, how to know what? 
said, the school call you? I said, no. He goes, my daughter Annabelle's in the hospital here. She's really sick. Something's really wrong. I said, what hospital are you at? Long Beach Memorial. I was, in, I was within three blocks of that hospital at the moment I called him. In a matter of, of just a few moments, I was stepping into the ER, walking there, pulling back the curtain, looking inside. He's like, I can't believe this. Who told you? The, the school call you? I said, no. I said, you know, every once in a while I walk with God. And I was trying to walk with him today. And I think God loves you. And he wants you to know that he's, he's, uh, he's got you on his radar. He's got your girl on his radar. He loves you. He wants you to be saved. I think that's why I know about this so fast. I wonder how many times I have neglected to be Johnny on the spot because I wasn't John yields to the Holy Spirit. So many times the Lord tried to, come on, come on, go, go, go. Witness that guy. Talk to him. Give this. And I just fought it. Praying in the Holy Ghost. I think it's important to have long seasons of prayer. Many of you are great examples of that. But I love what Charles Spurgeon said one day when he was with a group of pastors. He said, you know, he was taking questions. And a young man said to him, a young pastor, he said, Brother Spurgeon, can you kind of just define your prayer life? When you pray, how long do you normally pray? I'm sure he was thinking hour, two, three. And by the way, I'm not belittling that. But interesting what he said at that moment. He said, young man, I, most of my prayers are no longer than five minutes. But having said that, I probably don't go five minutes without praying. You know what was he saying? He was praying all day long. Because he and the Holy Spirit had a constant communication. Billy Sunday, who was a great preacher, his wife, Maul Sunday, they called her Maul Sunday, he said, Billy, are you talking to me or to Jesus? He said, he talks so much to Jesus, sometimes I don't know if he's talking to me or the Lord. He said, he talks to God all day long. That's what his wife said about him. So I get confused if I'm supposed to answer or if God's answering. Billy, he always talked to the Lord. You know, all of us can do it. He said, I want you to pray in the Holy Ghost. If we're going to make a difference, we must have our face strong from the Scriptures. We must be praying in the Holy Ghost. You, you can't always read your Bible. Not a good idea to do when you're driving. Don't, don't, don't try that. You can't wash dishes and read your Bible. But you know what you can wash dishes and pray? You can drive and pray. You can work and pray. You can commune with God. Pray in the Holy Ghost. The next thing, I want you to look at verse number 21, would you please? The Bible says, keep yourself in the love of God. It's interesting, building your self up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, and keep yourself in the love of God. Do you know, I, 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 uh, I'm blessed for many reasons in my life, but I was blessed with a dad who affirmed me. He has lived with God longer than he lived with me. He's been living with Jesus now in this next February, I think 29 years. But my dad was really good at affirming and letting me know that he loved me. And it gave me and my siblings a lot of confidence in life. By the way, dads, I want to encourage you to affirm and let your kids know you love them. Say it, show it, verbalize it, write it down. They need to know that. Every child needs affirmation and affection. They need uh, direction and they need correction. But learning to share your love with them is very important. Because uh, I think it, it, helps, it helps bring security. 
Knowing God loves you is equally or even more so. Because some of you have said, Pastor, I, my dad didn't do that. I don't, some of you have said, my dad never one time told me he loves me. And I'm not saying that's not right or wrong, but I think I would just give every dad the suggestion, even if it's hard for you to say, I love you, do it. Verbalize it. I don't have to tell them I mean it. I show it all the time. Tell them. Tell your wife you love her. She needs to hear it from you. It's important that they know that. Well, I had that in my growing up. But you know the truth of the matter is, God wants you to know he loves you. He tells us in Jeremiah 31.3, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love, and with loving kindness have I drawn thee. For God so loved the world. God is love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Love is a major theme of God's word, and he wants you to know he loves you. But the world wants you to think he doesn't. The flesh that you live in, if you start reasoning in your own mind, you'll think bad things happen to me. I wonder if God loves me. Or maybe he doesn't love me like he loves somebody else. I'll never forget going to a hospital right here in, in community hospital and uh, visiting a man who was not living right. He grew up in this church, and, uh, but he was living a very low and a wicked life. He wasn't being faithful to his family. He wasn't being faithful to his children. He certainly wasn't faithful to the house of God. And he was my friend. I had known him for many years. And I remember walking into that hospital room and talking to him, a little small talk. And then I just said to him, I said, friend, do, do you realize that God loves you? And I'll never forget what he told me. He said, Pastor, God might love me a little bit, but not like he loves everybody else. And when I heard him say that, I said to myself, bingo. Now your life makes sense. You have such a low opinion of God's love and care for you, and that's why you're living such a low life. We talked, I prayed, and I saw him every once in a while for the next three years. But I saw him again. He was hospitalized in, in Methodist South Lake. I remember going to him one late afternoon. I worked out at the college and finished college. And I drove over there and I saw him. And he said, Pastor, uh, I need you to come back tomorrow morning. I said, friend, I, I can't. I, I've got to fly out tomorrow morning. I, I think I have to, I have to catch, a, catch a flight at 8 o'clock. He said, would you please come tomorrow morning? I said, it means I have to be here like 5 o'clock in the morning. He goes, that's fine. I'll be here. I remember walking into his room that morning, early in the morning. I drove out there, uh, about, left my house about 4.30, got there, walked into his room. And he said, Pastor, he said, um, I'm not saved. He said, I've went through the gospel with many people. I've served in that church for years, and I'm not saved. I said, so you're struggling with your salvation. You need some assurance verses. And I remember him saying, kind of smart, he said, maybe you didn't hear me. I'm not saved. I said, well, can I walk you through the gospel message? He said, would you? I went through the gospel like I would with someone who's never heard it before. And before long, he began to call out to the Lord and ask God to save him. I remember him getting on the phone and calling his mistress and saying, our, our relationship is over. I've sinned against you. I've sinned against my family. I'm so sorry. 
I remember the change that he had in his life. The things that he began to just, in a short time, between that time and the time that he went home to be with the Lord, with his family around him, sad but rejoicing. The things that changed in his life. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. But I thought to myself, the reason that he did not live and understand is that he didn't realize that God loved him. And you know, the devil wants you to think that God doesn't love you. I, I always think about this whenever John the Baptist baptized Jesus and the heavens opened and God's glory came on Jesus and then his voice came from heaven right there beside that Jordan River. This is my beloved son. This is my son. I love him. And I'm well pleased with him. I can't help but think there must have been a smile on God's face as he, anyone could hear him. See, he was rejoicing. This is my son. I love him. He pleases me. Jesus left the baptistry of that uh, Jordan River, dried off, and went 40 days and 40 nights fasting. And then Satan caught him at a weak time. And do you remember what he said to them? If thou be the... If you really are, wherever God puts a period, Satan puts a question mark. If you really are the son of God and he loves you, then do this, this, this. Satan opened his mouth to Eve and said, yea, if God said, you're not going to die. God knows this. The moment you eat that fruit, he can, you'll get out from under his thumb. You'll be just like him. You won't have to have this, this relationship, No. It'll be like this. Come on, Eve, eat it. Getting her to think negative thoughts about God and that God does. He said, how precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God. How great is the sum of them. I remember ready to tell my wife, Linda, that I loved her, and I remember going to Brother Sprunger. I said, when do you know if God really loves you? Or you really love your, 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 your girlfriend? When do you really know that? I remember him saying something. He's in heaven now. Bless his heart. He said, are you willing to die for her? I said, no, I'm 19. I don't want to die yet. You know? <laughs> he said, well, if you're, if you're willing to die for her, then you know you love her. I was like, oh, man, I'm not thinking about dying. I'm thinking about living. <laughs> I want to live with her, not die for her. That was my thought. I went to ask other people, you know that wonderful verse, and the multitude of the counselors are safety. And in most of the counselors, there's confusion, too. <laughs> I remember listening to different people give me their advice on that. Well, here's what I did. I come to this idea that I couldn't quit thinking about her. When I was in church, Ed, it was easy to think about Linda. When I was in my truck at RPS, I kept thinking about Linda. When I was going to work, I was thinking about Linda. When I was in chapel, I'm sorry, I was thinking about Linda. I mean, I was just thinking about her all the time. And I thought to myself, if I think about it, I must love this woman. And I do, and I did, and I still do. She's probably tired right now. She's been running through my mind all day. <laughs> I love her. And I thought about her all the time. And you know, whenever uh, you think about what is God's opinion of you, he said, you're poor and needy, yet the Lord thinketh about you. He said, how precious also are thy thoughts unto me. Whoa, great is the sum of them. And Jude says, listen, 
if you're going to make a difference, you've got to make much of the Bible because that's where faith is fostered. You've got to learn to pray in the Holy Ghost because that's where your relationship gets power. That, that song we have, the, the passion for thee, Father, fill with thy spirit. You know how you get the Holy Spirit? You ask him. <laughs> you got to pray to get the Holy Spirit and, and that right relationship. And then he says, keep yourself in love of God. Say, Pastor, all the things that bad happened to me, I'm not sure God loves me. Trust him. He loves you. He says it over, it's never he loves me, he loves me not. It's he loves me, he loves me, he loves me, he loves me. Never without. You've never been a moment without God's love. Matter of fact, everyone who goes to hell goes to hell unsaved. Not one person goes to hell unloved because they fit in the context of the world. The last thing he says, and looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 21, if you would, please. And looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. The fourth thing he says, if we're going to make a difference, is that we must build our own faith by the word of God. We must pray in the Holy Ghost. We must keep ourselves reminded that he loves me. Brother Hiles used to say this, and I appreciate it so much. I remember it resonating in my mind from the time I was 18 to 22, and I left here. I remember him talking about, take God off trial. How many ever hear him say that before? He said, look, every time bad things happen, don't, you got to decide how you feel about God way before a bad thing happens. Well, if God really loved me, you know what? That'll make you a lousy mom. If you, if you judge God's love for you based upon what happens, you're going to be a lousy dad, you're going to be a lousy friend, lousy son, daughter, Christian. No one will ever serve God for a lifetime faithfully who is not totally convinced that God loves them. And he proves it over and over again. And don't let a couple things bad happen to you keep you from remembering all the wonderful things he's done for you. I like what Job was said about Job when he got a bad few bad days. He had mostly good days. And all of us, we have mostly good days, a couple bad days. And the Bible says, he said, I came into the world without any clothes. I'm going to leave that in clothes. The Lord gave, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all this, Job sin not nor charge God foolishly. When you and I get angry with God or don't understand, just because we don't understand something, and we think, well, why this bad happened? Then God doesn't love me. No, he loves you. And there may be some stinking thinking that you and I have picked up as children or in, in situations that God monitors love based upon how you, what you go through. That's not true. God loves you on your best day and on your hardest day. And by the way, in your trials, you'll feel even greater love whenever you look for it, when you accept it. Keep yourself in the love of God and anticipate the coming of his son. That will begin for us a wonderful future. I can't wait for that day to happen. I'm looking forward to the day when the Lord comes, and I, I hope he'll come soon. But in the meantime, if you'll concentrate on the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll elevate your behavior. All of us have the story of whenever we, our parents said, listen, honey, we're going to go do a little shopping, take care of some stuff. When I come back, I want this done, this done, this done, this done. And we say, oh, yeah, no problem. Bye, Mama. Love you so much. And then we watch too many episodes of Andy Griffith, and we hear their car in the driveway. And we're thinking, no! None of the things are done we're supposed to be done, and we're all scared. We don't want them to come. <laughs> if everything's all done, we can't wait for them to come back. Boy, 
reminding ourselves that the Lord's coming back, living in the imminent return of Christ keeps your hand out of the proverbial cookie jar. You get anticipating the car coming down the driveway. You hope it's in the driveway. Not like, oh, don't come, go back shopping. (laughs) No, you want him to come. We also know that we have a short time. Even Jesus understood this. In John chapter 9, when he said, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. When you understand, night is coming. It's coming for you. It's coming for me. It's coming for those we love, and it's especially coming for the lost. And with that understanding of strong faith, a genuine prayer life, I'm keeping myself in the love of God. And then I'm anticipating the coming of Christ, and some have compassion making a difference. When you understand those things, especially the love of God, you're going to have more compassion for others. You'll be more patient and more committed you might, you might get on that bus route instead of get off. You might, you might be more visiting your Sunday school absentees. There might be a little bit more that you want to share with invest in the things of God if you and I will learn that to make a difference, we need a relationship with the Bible because that's where faith is fostered. We need to pray. We need to keep ourselves in love of God and anticipate the mercy of the coming of Jesus. Aren't you glad when he comes, we'll soon be done with troubles and trials? We'll experience what real mercy means, taking out of a wicked world and forever with our God. So shall we ever be with the Lord, wherefore comfort one another with these words.